So, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been talking about marriage and singleness. He's been addressing some questions um, from the Corinthians about marriage, singleness, and divorce. And, to, and uh, today we're going to see that he uses some, some other examples to talk about the same point that he's been trying to make. Um, he's going to talk about circumcision and about slavery. It just wouldn't be one of my messages if I didn't get to preach about circumcision, right? <laughs> just, it's just the way things fall for me. All right. So this is going to remind us that our identity comes from Christ instead of from our background or our present status. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you to use your word this morning like a hammer to break the crust off of our hardened hearts. Lord, you know how we get when we are out in the world and, and we are swimming in that stream of things. Lord, we need you to continue to renew our minds, renew our hearts this morning. And at the same time, Lord, we need your comfort knowing that a sovereign God is in control of all things. Lord, that you really do care for us and that that is evidence for us in the message of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we will go through bit by bit. <clears throat> Starting at verse 17. Do I have the right book? I'm in Romans. I get your priest for Romans 7, but I didn't prepare for that. All right. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was it anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So, verse 17 is going to be a great introduction for us. Uh, so, let's look at a few things here. Uh, you're going you're gonna to hear the word <clears throat> call a lot of times as we, as we go through this passage today. But, but the first verse is talking to us about how to lead the life that God has assigned to us and how he has called to us. And there's a, there's a Greek word that is used here in that, in that English phrase, lead the life. The Greek word is parapateo. And it means to walk it out. It's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of imagery. It's, it's sort of a metaphor for, for living something out. And so it is a, it's an imperative with a continual action. So it means live it out today. Continue uh, to live it on, out as you proceed through the Christian life. And we see here in this passage the balance of God's sovereignty and salvation. The fact that he is the one who calls us. He's the one who saves us. And yet we have a human responsibility to live it out. So let's look at two aspects of that, two things that the first verse uh, tells us. Number one is that the Lord has assigned. We are living out a life that the Lord has assigned to us. So when we look at the history of salvation, the history of God's activity, especially with the nation of Israel, 
um, we remember that the people of Israel were assigned portions of the land of Canaan when they were brought into that land, out of slavery, out of the wilderness wanderings, and into Canaan. And they were given boundary lines, specific places where they were supposed to live. And those boundary lines were supposed to be observed. Now, the people of Israel, before uh, they were given the land, had, uh, had no property, no ability to take care of themselves. They were essentially homeless, wandering around in the desert. And God provided land for them. And in that day and time, of course, in an agrarian society, land was life. If you didn't have land, you didn't have the ability to take care of yourself. You were constantly going to be depending on others. But the land itself was not the most important aspect of their inheritance. It wasn't the most important aspect of what God had assigned them. Because at times, God was willing to let them be taken out of the land into captivity in order to discipline them. The most important thing about their assignment is their relationship with God, as is illustrated in Psalm 16, verses 5 through 6. Look at this with me. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. It's a great passage. talks about how we should be satisfied and content in the place that God has given to us. I think of this verse often when I think of my beautiful wife, Allie. Uh, she's amazing. She is a part of, of my beautiful inheritance. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I'm embarrassing her right now, so I'll stop. But the most valuable aspect of the people of Israel's assignment was their relationship with God. The Lord is my chosen portion on my cup. He's the one who has created those lines for me, and he is going to dwell there with me. So he's assigned us, in, and for us in Christ, he has assigned us a new life. But the most important thing about that life is not just what we're able to enjoy here, but to enjoy him forever. The second thing that verse 17 talks to us about um, is to the life to which God has called him. So the life to which God has called each one of us. And this, is, this uh, word called, we're going to see throughout the passage, it is the Greek verb kaleo, and we see this often in Paul's writing. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1, we saw it uh, when Paul was talking about how the Corinthians were called into the fellowship. And in Paul's writing, we always see it being used as, um, as, as someone is being called into something. That's the most typical usage. Look at Ephesians 4, 1. There's another good example of this in Paul's writing. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So you see there, we've got that verb, verb walk is peripateo again, and in a manner worthy of the calling. These are, these are derivatives of kaleo, that idea that we have been called from death to life. So when Jesus calls us, he calls us to follow him, just as the disciples followed him during his earthly ministry. And when he calls us, we leave darkness. We break our ties with sin and with Satan. I mean, how many gangster movies do we have in which a person is trying to leave the mob, right? And, they just, and the whole story is about them trying to get out of their mafia ties. Remember, uh, I've, I've, I had to watch the Godfather movies when I took uh, some film classes in college. 
I never saw Godfather Part 3, but I know the big line from Godfather Part 3. Michael Corleone says, just when I thought it was out, they pulled me back in, right? <laughs> Al Pacino. Jesus breaks those ties. He breaks the ties of sin and Satan on our lives. We walk free through this life. That's part of what we saw in the baptisms this morning. So beautiful, the testimonies that we are able to walk free. We're able to walk out of darkness and in the light because Jesus has broken those ties with our old life. Even the end of this verse, verse 17 says, this is my rule in all of the churches. Even the word churches in Greek has this same idea of being called. The word church is made up out of two words, ek meaning out of and kaleo meaning called. So we've got out of called. This is a group of called out people. We are called out of darkness and into life. So you, the church, are a group of called out people. That's what that word actually means. So both assigned and called are actions that God performs and that we receive passive on our part. These are things that God has done for us. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. He is the one who saves us. If God did not save us, where would we be? We would still be running from him. We'll talk more about sovereignty as we look at how Paul pushes on our background and on our present status. So first we need to look at the gospel and how it applies to our background. And Paul uses the illustration of circumcision to talk about this. So let me read this little section again real fast. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain on the, in the condition in which he was called. Now, in the first century, this was an extremely important issue to his audience. This was the largest religious barrier in the church. You had Jews and Gentiles sitting next to each other in the pews, so to speak. And it was a big deal for them. So we, we need to understand a little bit about circumcision and what it meant to Jewish people during that time and under, to know why it was such a divisive issue in the early church. So circumcision is instituted uh, in the life of Abraham, who's kind of the father of Israel. He's also the, the father, the progenitor of faith. And to following Abraham, to be Jewish, to be a people, part of the people of Israel, was to be synonymous with being the people of God. The people of God were Israel. There were people who were grafted in. There were people who were brought in from the outside, like Ruth. Um, but those people had to come in. They had to be a part of the Jewish people. And there was no other nation that was uniquely called by God the way that Israel was. Look at this uh, example from Deuteronomy 7, 6. This is what God says to his people. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's beautiful language that God uses to describe his special relationship, his special calling on the nation of Israel. And one of the key marks of this relationship was circumcision, which would happen little boys on the eighth day of their lives. To be circumcised meant that their body was marked as one of God's people. 
So God made a covenant with his people. He made promises to them. He gave them the temple. He gave them uh, the sacrificial system in order that they could receive forgiveness of their sins. And God's uh, track record of faithfulness was centuries and centuries long to the Jewish people. So this background wasn't nothing. It meant something real to them. And it led to a serious rub in the early church. We see it kind of start in Acts chapter 10. Peter goes uh, at, at, God's, uh, at God's command, he goes to the house of a Gentile man named Cornelius, who has been praying to God, he's been seeking God, God's been at work in his life. Peter comes and he preaches the good news of the gospel to him. Just the simple facts that Jesus came, died, rose again to pay for sins. And let's pick it up here. Let's look at this verse here in Acts 10, verses 44 through 47. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So these, these Jewish brothers who came along with Peter are shocked. They're blown away because God has not only brought the message of the gospel to these Gentiles. This was their Messiah, they thought. These, Jesus is, came for us. He came for the nation of Israel. And now this message is going to this group of Gentiles. These are the people we were supposed to stay away from. These are the people we were afraid that would corrupt us. And now we're going to preach the gospel to them? What is going on? So they are amazed at what's going on. But what Peter sees is that what really mattered was not their background, but the fact that they were called to be God's people, which they see in the evidence of the Holy Spirit and his work in Cornelius and his household as they trust in the message of the gospel. So Paul says to his Jewish and his Gentile brothers, he says, make no changes. Lead the life that God has assigned to you, the life to which you have been called. If you're Jewish, don't try to reverse your circumcision. Now, circumcision would have been a lot more obvious than it would be to us today. They had public baths. So it's kind of like a shower house. You would go in and you would you'd be cleaning off and people would notice. They would see whether or not you were Jewish or not by the marks on your body. Right? Same thing would be true if you were running a foot race because people stripped all the way down if they were going to run a foot race. Don't ask me why. That doesn't seem like the best way to go. But, <laughs> but that's what they did. And so people would know. People would be aware. And so there were actually some people in the century before Christ was born who actually came up with a surgery, a way to kind of reverse this, this, this situation for them so that they could blend in, they could be a part of the world around them. Again, first century uh, plastic surgery does not sound like a good idea <laughs> to me at all. But that's what they did. Paul says, look, don't try to, re don't try to reverse that. If you are a Jewish, be circumcised. If you're a Gentile, don't try to be circumcised. Don't line up for the surgery. Why? Because in so doing, you are saying that God's calling you in Christ is not enough. That there's something that must be added or subtracted from your background in order for you to be saved. He says, no, you need to live the life that you are called to. 
Think about it for a minute. How much input did they get as to whether or not they were Jewish or Gentile? God put them exactly where they were supposed to be. More on that in a second. Verse 19, Paul tells the Corinthians a very strong statement. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That would be a hard blow if you grew up believing, look, my circumcision is the mark. It's the sign that I'm one of God's covenant people. Paul is telling them, look, it doesn't count for anything. And to the Gentile brothers there, he's saying the same thing. He's like, look, don't, don't worry about it. Don't, uh, don't, don't freak out about whether or not you are circumcised. You're no more saved because you're circumcised, and you're no less saved because you aren't circumcised. He said, um, he's, he's, he would have to explain to them, right, as he was preaching the gospel, how did they come to be saved? Um, God said that he would justify his people through Abraham, and then in him, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. So the message of the gospel would come to all nations, not just the nation of Israel, that who, and that all who call on the name of the Lord would be saved. The good news would eventually get out to all people. So Jewish man, Jewish woman, you would be saved by grace through faith in the promises made by God, made explicit in your Messiah, Jesus. Gentile man, Gentile woman, you would be saved because of God's promise to Abraham. Even though you were raised apart from the teaching and the promises and the covenants, God is calling you to Christ anyway because he's impartial and he's merciful and he's not a respecter of persons. So let's bring it home uh, to Ackworth, Georgia, because I can't remember the last time I had to break up a conflict in our church about whether or not people were circumcised or uncircumcised. I'm not trying to stir anything up. But it's not a pressing issue for us here. Let's think for a moment about our background. Okay? Some of us, we, as we think about the life that we were called out of, some of us would like to erase our background. Amen? Some of us would like to just pretend, can we just, can we have a do-over or something? If I put your life up here on this screen, you would be extremely ashamed. You'd probably run out of the room, and, and I might too. You might envy someone who had a really good background or a good upbringing or, or walked with Christ um, all of their lives. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Dude Perfect. Who has had the privilege of watching with their children Dude Perfect before? All right, now I'm glad I'm not the only one who's had to, had to do that. Um, so Dude Perfect is a, is a YouTube channel, and these guys, like, one of the things they became famous for was making trick shots, right? Um, so they'll, they'll uh, get up in a helicopter, and they will see if they can throw a basketball down from out of the helicopter and, uh, and hit the basketball goal, if they can get it in the basket. And what they'll do as they're doing this, now that they are big and famous, is they will, they will, shoot, they will do that shot, and they will have cameras on multiple angles, right? You'll have the, the camera that's right up next to the guy who's taking the, the basketball shot. You'll have the guy who's down near under the goal, looking up at the helicopter, from all different angles, right? And once they make that shot, man, that you see that shot from all the different angles. You see it slowed down. You see it reversed. You see it freeze-framed. You see everything uh, in every direction that that, uh, that that trick shot took place. And I was thinking about my life and your life. God sees, God has all of that data on our lives. He sees exactly what happened in our background. He could freeze frame it. He could reverse it. He could slow it down. He knows everything 
about what happened to us and about what we did before we came to Christ. And yet he said, I love you, and I'm going to call you to myself. None of that matters to me. All that matters is my love for you. I'm calling you out of darkness into light. So we don't have to be concerned about our background. We don't have to worry when, our, when, our, when shame hits us, when we think about our past lives, and we begin to think of those things that just make us like physically wince when we, when we think about them. We can instead, we can think about the fact that God was there. He saw it from every angle, and he stood, still said, I'm calling you. You're mine. I love you. You need to stop looking at your life in light of your background and start looking at your life differently in light of God's calling, in light of your salvation, what God has done for us in Christ. Now, back in 1984, I was eight years old, and I was introduced to an amazing set of toys called Transformers. And you guys, amazingly, this generation is still making movies about Transformers, which is, which is thrilling to all, the, all of those who are as old as I am. So uh, when you bought a Transformers package, there was a little thing on the back, right? A little description of the robot. And it would talk about what their relative uh, strengths were like, or their background, and all sorts of things that you get to know about that particular robot. And one of the amazing pieces of technology back in 1984 was this graph on the back. It was a line graph. And it was kind of, it was kind of shaded out with all of these, these pink and, and red lines so that you really couldn't see the line graph unless you took out the decoder, <laughs> which was a red piece of plastic. 1984 technology. We took that piece of plastic out of the back and we laid it on top of that description, that little tech spec, and you know what we saw? We saw that line clearly. It was amazing. <laughs> right? At eight years old, he's like, this is awesome. So you'd look at everything through the little red lens. This is great. What else am I going to see in this world? This is the way that God looks at us. God looks at us through the blood red lens of what Christ has done for us. He doesn't look at our background and say, oh, it's so shameful. It's so terrible what they did. Instead, he looks at us through what Christ did and how pleased he is with the way that Christ has given his righteousness to us as a gift. Amen? We're qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light because Jesus gave his righteousness to us as a gift. So, you were born into a particular time and place. Acts 17, 26 tells us this. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You were not born where you were born and put in the background that you were in, in by mistake. God put you there according to his sovereign plan, and he saved you according to his sovereign timing. It's not like you were able to stiff-arm God forever. Right? Because when God purposes to save a person, he's going to call them and, and they're going to come to him. God saved you in his sovereign timing. At just the right moment, said, God said, enough. Enough deliberating, enough questioning, enough rejection, enough running away. You are mine. You're in my family. You are given a new life. 
So we're saved by grace through faith, not anything that we have done or anything that our background earns us. So that's how we can apply this business about circumcision and and uncircumcision to us right here in Ackworth, Georgia. We also need to think about uh, the implications of the, the back half of verse 19 when Paul says what counts is keeping the commandments of God. Now this is us living out our lives as a Christian, which happens as you begin to look at your life in light of the gospel. Now here's the interesting thing about Paul. As you look at his writings, he, he uses his Jewish background as he keeps the commandments of God by telling other people about Jesus. When you look at the, the book of Acts, where does Paul go to first when he visits a town to preach the gospel? Jewish synagogue. He goes right to the Jews because theirs is the promise, theirs is, uh, is the covenants. They're going to understand who Messiah Jesus is. So he goes to them first and he preaches the gospel to them because the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, Romans 1.16. And yet, let's see if I can not miss my place here. And yet he's not, he, does not, he doesn't say that Jewish and Gentile don't exist anymore. He doesn't obliterate those categories. He doesn't say, you're not a man, you're not a woman, you're not a slave, you're not, a, you're not free, you're not, you're not Jew, you're not Gentile. He's not saying that when he says that in, in, Ephesians, in Ephesians 4. What he's saying is those categories mean nothing in terms of your salvation before God. They don't add anything to it, and they don't subtract anything from it. God has made you exactly the way that he wants you to be. So he begins to leverage those things in his life uh, for the sake of the gospel. So Psalm 139 verse 13 talks about how God formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you your gender, your skin tone, your facial features, the relative sizes of your body parts. I'm going to keep this uh, out of the FPC uh, 17 uh, rating here. Let's keep it safe for the little ears this morning. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. What counts most about you is God's call on your life to save you and then what you do with God, for God with that body, the time and the place that he gives you. So verse 20 sums up this, this section as Paul says, each one should remain in the condition in which he is called. I can just imagine Paul um, saying one of my favorite lines from uh, the movie Signs, if you've seen that with Mel Gibson. Uh, there's a great part. His, his family is all freaked out about an alien invasion, and he says, everyone in this family needs to calm down and eat some fruit or something, right? Just needs to calm down and eat some fruit. <laughs> He's saying, look, Paul's saying, calm down. Walk out God's commandments in the condition you were called. Quit trying to reverse the past. You have been called. There is no better background than the background that you have because you were called because God predestined that you would be called. God said that you would be saved, and so he called you. You were saved because of that. Let's look at the gospel and our present status in verses 21 through 23. We've got to move. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord is a slave as a slave, as a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, yeah, my translation is a little bit different than yours. I heard some of you guys out there going, hmm, you know, these aren't the same words I'm seeing here. 
you're going to see the word bondservant. That's a difference that the, the ESV has made uh, over time. They're using the word bondservant instead of slave. I think slave is a pretty good translation, though. Paul um, talks about this category of being slave or being free. One-third of the population of the ancient world were slaves. And so this would have been the biggest social distinction in the church. Outside of a religious distinction, this would have been the biggest social distinction for them. Now, slavery is a complex issue in the first century. I've done a lot of reading about it. Uh, some slaves occupied positions of importance where they're able to gain skills. They were able to rise uh, in their place of, of, of service. They were able to gain education. Uh, they were even able to buy themselves out of freedom. So for some of those slaves, it really was like an indentured servitude. And then there's other slaves in other parts of the Roman Empire that are out in the salt mines. And they don't have any of those privileges or any of those abilities. They are just working until they die. Some, of, some, of, some slaves were treated well, and some were treated cruelly. Bottom line is that they are all treated as property, which is not good. Um, the Bible condemns those who enslave others in, in uh, 1 Timothy 1.10, if you want to look at that sometime. There's a, there's a phrase there that's used, uh, man-stealers or enslavers. So anybody who kidnaps people and, and brings them into slavery is, 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 in, is in sin. Um, and there were, as we look at the whole Bible, we see that there weren't slaves in the beginning and that there are not going to be any slaves in heaven. People who have been enslaved are going to be free. They're going to, everyone's going to be free in heaven. And yet slavery is a real thing today. Uh, thankfully, it is outlawed uh, in most parts of the world. But it, even uh, here in, I, I mean, excuse me, uh, there are 50 million slaves in the world today. People who have been coerced, people who have been bound, people who, have been, who are kept there to work and do things against their will. And unfortunately, Atlanta is actually one of the sex trafficking hubs of the United States. The National Human Trafficking Hotline in 2018 ranked Georgia fourth among states in human labor trafficking. And part of the reason for that is because we have one of the biggest airports in the world, and you can get people in and out of that area very easily. And so the point in this passage here is not, um, is not to endorse slavery. It's also not to... Uh, not to go through and dismantle slavery in this passage. Uh, any society that, um, that places their trust in Christ is ultimately going to want to set people free and dismantle slavery because each person bears the image of God. And you cannot own that which belongs to God. So Paul is introducing the gospel. The gospel is the thing that's going to ultimately dismantle slavery, just like any other evil in this world. In verse 21, Paul speaks to the slaves specifically. He says, your status as a slave does nothing to prevent you from living out your calling as a believer. He says, were you a slave and called? Do not be concerned about it. Why shouldn't they be concerned about it? Because it doesn't have to be an obstacle for you to live out your faith in Jesus. He's saying, don't be concerned about it for that reason. Obviously, if you can get out of slavery, you should do it. But don't for a second believe that if you are unable to reverse these circumstances and get out from under slavery, that you won't be able to live out God's calling to follow Jesus. That should be your highest priority. Now, some of you guys know this story, but in 1967, a young woman named Johnny Erickson went swimming with her sister in Chesapeake Bay. And unfortunately, she misjudged the depth of the water as she dived in she broke her spine in several places, and she was paralyzed from the neck down. 
She's never been able to regain any motion in any of her limbs. So she found herself as a young woman in a life status that none of us would want to be in if we were given a choice, unable to move her arms, unable to move her legs for the rest of her life. She's a human, just like you and I. So she, for a long time, she was depressed. And then she came to realize what God says to people in any situation, what God says to us today in this passage, that nothing can prevent us from living out our calling, not even being quadriplegic. If you know the story, you know that God has used her testimony to bring many, many people to Christ. I'm sure that if you asked her today, she would not trade a thing. She would not put one of those people back in the kingdom of darkness just for the sake of having her limbs back. There's always a way forward with Jesus because he's not limited by our circumstances. Through Christ, we can do everything that he sets out to accomplish. I realize that I'm speaking to a painful point for some people in the room this morning, but if you find yourself in a situation that you cannot change, might it be that this is part of God's sovereign plan to bring him glory in your life? Verse 22 Paul makes it more explicit. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. Paul says that a person's salvation or their calling radically alters their position. The world sees them in their present position as a slave, walking around having to do what the master calls them to do. But God sees them as walking free from sin, that's one aspect of freedom, and free to worship him, that's another aspect of freedom, with their lives. The world may see a person like Paul, who has no master, walking around as free. But Paul describes himself here and in other places as a slave of Christ. However you are called, Paul says, you can serve the Lord. There's nothing holding you back from living out the calling that God has given to you in Christ Jesus. Verse 23, Paul uses slave market imagery to describe Jesus' lordship over us. But the twist as we look at Jesus as, as a master or as a lord is that Jesus paid our ransom with his own blood. He gave up his own freedom in order to save us. As a matter of fact, um, Clement of Rome writes in an early letter to Christians in the second century that there were actually Christians who would sell themselves into slavery in order to buy other people out. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Amen? It completely disregards this passage, but it's a beautiful picture. picture. However you're called, you can serve the Lord. He Paul understands this irony that many of us see ourselves at free, as free, but we're actually in bondage. He says, because you were bought with a price, don't become anyone's slave. Now, why would one of anybody want to become a slave in the first century? There are two reasons. Number one is you might be struggling financially. You want to get out of some financial trouble. Number two is that you might want to work for an important person in society. Because a person who, a slave who worked in one of those nice house, households would actually rise in their status. They would gain connections with business connections. 
uh, and all sorts of relational connections with people that as they bought themselves out of that slavery, they would retain a lot of those connections with people. So they, would, they might want to sell themselves in, into slavery in order to rise in status out of the lower ranks of society. As a matter of fact, some slaves actually had their master's name carved on their tombstone. So it would be like Jeremy, servant of John Piper, or something like that. John Piper would love me using that uh, as an illustration. Because I might get a lot of status, right, working for John Piper. It would be awesome, right? So um, let's, let's apply this to ourselves today. Maybe some of you today live your life like a countdown. Like you just can't wait for something to happen. When, I, when, when this next thing happens, then I'm really going to be able to serve the Lord. And you're just waiting for that perfect situation to arrive before you can really serve God. You spend all of your time on job sites looking for the perfect job that will enable you to, to be all that you can be. You spend all your time on Zillow looking for the perfect house. People in this area are kind of like hermit crabs, right? We just keep on moving around from shell to shell to shell. Sorry, Paul. Uh, Paul Driver. Paul's Driver's a real estate guy. <laughs> Hope I didn't mess things up for you. Um, we spend all of our time looking at magazines, trying to, trying to figure out how to have the perfect body, the perfect body type. Uh, we want to be married or to get out of marriage. We talked about divorce uh, last time. We'll be talking more about marriage next week. We want children. That's a struggle for some of us. We're in bad shape financially in our circumstances. Don't seem to be able to get out of that. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or an overworked dad who feels like you have no time to serve and nothing to do. Let me tell you, saints, the devil wins a million victories with the words, if I only. Take comfort. God sees your circumstances and he is at work in all of them. Ephesians 1.11 talks about how he works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is amazing and he is at work in everything. There are plenty of opportunities to serve the Lord right in front of you right now. Don't wait for that next, for your circumstances to change to begin serving the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with starting small. You just got to get going. You have been set free from the worst bondage there is, the bondage of your will to sin, because before you could not stop saying no to sin. Every time sin opened the door or offered you something, you said yes. In order to get that, I will absolutely do what God does not want me to do. I will absolutely sin against God in order to get that. I will do it every time. Holy Spirit put Romans 6, 6 on repeat this morning. Nick read it this morning. We're going to read it again. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We no longer have to say yes. We no longer have to jump when sin says jump. We can say no to sin. So quit acting like you're in bondage. If you're free in Christ, quit acting like you're in bondage to your circumstances. Now, Paul flips this over as well for, for people who are free. He says, remember that you were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. Now, that's our case, right? We all live free. This is Memorial Day weekend. We remember those who died so that we could be free. Amen. We're very grateful to those families um, today. Um, who, have, who have lost loved ones. Um, we'll be praying for you as we, as we finish this service. 
um, so thankful for their sacrifices on our behalf. But we don't get to waste this life that has been bought for us, seeking comfort, pleasure, power, or glory for ourselves. We don't get to put off serving the Lord because we're waiting for it to get easier. My dad used to say that that's why Jesus tells us to take up our cross instead of sit, sit down in an easy chair. Instead, we're supposed to leverage all that we have for the sake of his glory. Verse 24 rounds it out. Paul says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Whatever condition you were in, take heart. God is in charge and he has prepared you for such a time as this. Don't keep looking at your background, what has passed. Don't keep looking at your present status, waiting for it to change. You were called by God. Let that reality shape every aspect of how you live your new life for Jesus. Now, perhaps you're in the room this morning and you never realized that there is such a thing as being in bondage to sin. The Bible tells us that our default settings are to seek something and to give our lives every choice, every decision, every effort to something. There is something that you are pursuing in this life. And all the choices that you make are trying to acquire that thing, whether it's family, whether it's career, whether it's respect, whether it's pleasure, whatever the thing is. And you have to keep showing up and giving more of your life in order to get that thing. Now, some of you would say, no, man, I'm, I'm free. I am perfectly free. As a matter of fact, I am, like tomorrow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off the grid. I'm going to go out and live in the wilderness somewhere in a trailer. I'm going to grow my own food. I'm going to hunt my own meat. I'll, be, I'll commit my life to, to total independence. You know what that means? It means you're going to be living out there alone because you won't be depending on anyone else for anything. Relationships require new dependence. You're going to be out there by yourself. That's not the way that God designed you to be. You're going to be incredibly lonely. Jesus Christ calls you today to drop your quest for self-fulfillment because it always is going to leave you empty. And he calls you to follow him. He left his throne in heaven to take on the nature of a servant or a slave, if you like, so that you could be free. He allowed himself to be killed on a Roman cross to pay for your release from the bondage of sin so that you could say no to it. He rose on the third day in order to give you a new life, a life of true freedom in which you are free to say yes to God and to an eternity of knowing him in all of his goodness. I believe that God has called you today. He's put you here in this room to hear this message so that you could place your trust in Christ. Why would you say no to him? when he's done all of this for you. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service, if that's you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Memorial Day weekend that we can remember those who have died in service to our country so that we could have a life, the life that we have today. Lord, that's a gift of common grace to all of us as Americans. And yet, Lord, there is a, there is a greater gift, the gift that you gave of your son Jesus who did nothing wrong and yet was killed on our behalf for a purpose of securing our freedom in Christ. Lord, we thank you for that gift. 
Lord, help us to live our lives looking through the blood-red lens of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, help us to focus on our calling in Christ instead of our background, instead of our circumstances. You are greater than all of those things. In your name we pray. Amen.